Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Study of X, the bi-weekly X-Men podcast where we go through the Krakowin era of X-Men comics. I am your host Tim and with me as always is Sergio. Hi, hello. Pleasure to be here as always. Great to have you. And Chris? Also happy to be here and continue to talk about X-Men comics for now over a year by the time this comes out, which is pretty cool. Hell yeah, a year of excellence. Let's go. Uh, that's 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 a good word there because it has an X in uh, it. Get it? It's, it's branding. Yeah. Excellence. That should, be a, that should be a run. Yeah, it should be. Uh, yeah, so we got um, three different comics this week. We got X-Force number 10, Excalibur number 9, and Giant Size X-Men Nightcrawler. Uh, yeah, uh, interesting plot stuff here. We're getting the kind of conclusion to the X-Force arc that we started last episode, as well as uh, another kind of Giant Size run. And Excalibur is being confusing as usual. Yep, there, there's a lot of magic going on, and a lot of things. Good things or bad things, eh, it's kind of up to you. But there, there's definitely things happening. Yep. Do we want to get into X-Force? Yeah, I'm ready to go. Yeah. Let, let's see what's, up, what's happening at Terra Verde. Yeah. Alright, so in X-Force number 10, The Deadly Garden... Written still by Benjamin Percy. Uh, this was released in July of 2020. Uh, and we're opening back up to about 10 minutes before the last issue ended. Uh, and as we remember from the last one, it was Kid Omega running out, screaming that he needed help, and being dragged back in by a bunch of evil vines. Uh, and it looks like uh, here, 10 minutes ago, Domino, Wolverine, and Kid Omega are just having a grand old Indiana Jones-style time. Yeah, and just to give a little update, just uh, as a little bit of a recap, in our last issue, Beast sent these three into uh, Terra Verde to investigate uh, the whole country going dark, uh, and specifically left Jean Grey and Sage out of the loop. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. A lot of open questioning about why that was, and Wolverine deduces that it's probably because they are the murder squad, and they are here to murder. Uh, and it looks like probably murder evil plants, uh, or this evil temple, as they are almost killed in various different ways. Yeah, we get a little bit more of uh, Wolverine and Domino talking about Domino's uh, memory. Uh, Domino chose not to... Well, Domino asked Colossus when she died to come back with her memories restored of her trauma. Uh, she did not come back with those, and Wolverine seems to think that's a little weird. I like how Domino's put in a position where she has to justify kind of an alternate version of herself that she isn't really aware of. Yeah, like, she's she's trying to, like, justify her actions, but this wasn't actually her choice. Mm -hmm. Not this iteration of hers. We don't actually yeah. know if it was her choice at all, but at least she's operating under the assumption that a version of hers made this choice. Mm -hmm. Right. And therefore, she would have to trust what that version of her said. You know, and if we had those couple of issues where she was going over this in her head and debating whether or not she wanted to come back without it. So it's not that mm -hmm. far out of the realm of possibility for her to just do that. Yeah. She has to be thinking, or at least 
you know, actively aware of the possibility that someone went against her wishes, though. I mean, maybe not. It doesn't seem like she is, because she seems fairly confident in shutting down when people ask her, hey, are you sure this was the right choice? And she's like, well, yeah, of course it was. I made it. But is yeah, it because it she does not want to consider that possibility that the system can be like manipulated to go against those kind of wishes? Yeah, and that's what I'm kind of wondering. Like, is she just like refusing to kind of be... Yeah, I, I don't... Like, yeah, I, I think she just does not want to think about it. And be, because that's the other possibility, right? If it doesn't feel right to her that she would have chosen to have those memories removed, then the only possibility that remains is that someone interfered mm -hmm. um but that's so terrifying about the trust she's placed on the system that she's rather prefer think that uh she wanted those memories removed yeah and I, I think you also kind of run into the issue of like it is something that she knows is traumatic so does she really want to go digging up those memories regardless yeah now that the choice has been made for her or by her I mean, going back is, is probably something that, you know, it's an entirely different question. Yeah. Like, like, if she is operating from the place that she did choose this, it's like, well, I probably chose to get rid of the traumatic memories for a reason, so let's not do that again. So I, I get it. It's, like, the only thing that lies that, like, lies that way in terms of, like, thought processes pain. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. yeah much better yeah. to kind of live in ignorance at the moment, at least for her. And I don't know, I don't know what uh, Wolverine is thinking. Is he also considering that possibility? I really hope he is. I really hope this is going somewhere and this conversation actually bears fruit in terms of, uh, like, what happens. Yeah, and, and that's... Not just, and it's not just, oh, she had a change of heart at the very last second. And yeah, and, and like... So they would have this, this small, like, spat here. I, I mean, we saw her die, so I think that, like, us as an audience does know this isn't what she chose. Okay. Uh, yeah. So, so yeah, I, I think Wolverine is kind of getting at, like, hey, that doesn't seem right. But also, he doesn't know for sure if Domino did choose that or not. Yeah, I, so it's, this is the thing I really like about this conversation. They're discussing something that's not the thing that is actually, like, front of mind for us, the audience that knows that. So they're kind of just poking at the edges of the, again, systemic abuse that is potentially occurring here. Yeah, like we we as an audience know that, yeah, something is fishy going on here, but both of them aren't quite sure. Like they're both missing facts here. Okay, I wasn't completely sure how definitive that scene had been where she, where she had asked for those memories to remain. Right. But that makes it even more interesting for me then. Uh... But yeah, they are attacked, but Kid Omega manages to stop them. Um, Kid Omega uh, continues to be a shit and says that he feels like he should have let them both die because they keep squabbling. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of, I, I like this scene. It's fun. Um, Don't let Kid Omega be in charge of anything. No. Yeah, you kind of worried the lead there about why he was being a shit here. Yeah. He's, he makes a, he, he talks about like, oh yeah, I should let you guys die. And, uh, when you resurrect, you can come back as my mindless groupies. Uh, Krakoa has a lot of potential if I'm in charge. It's like, nope, that, that would be bad. Throw this guy into the hole. Yes. Yeah. Yes, into the pit. Forever. Please. 
Yes. I, I would it's be okay a, with that. Yeah. I one one thing I wanted to mention is how derpy he looks uh in these panels, especially on the first page. Uh he has such a big shin. I think it's real funny. Like his whole face is pushed up upwards. Yeah. Yeah, and the headband is not helping him. The the dumb headband is killing me, especially because it's just like, what is that doing for your hair? Mm-hmm. He really, really <laughs> likes Metal Gear, okay? Yeah. He would be the one that would like Metal Gear for being a cool spy and not the actual story going. Uh, but, yeah, we go further into the temple. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, uh, Kid Omega, they, they investigate a little bit. Kid Omega says, hey, we should probably just, uh, you know, just destroy this, and then gets dragged off by a vine. Mm-hmm. And everybody else also does. Yeah, except for Domino, who is now left by herself in this creepy temple. But hey, d- yeah, don't worry about that. the lucky that. one. Yeah, the lucky one, really, as we're gonna see. Uh, but don't worry about that, because we have a data page, and it's from Beast's Logbook again. And this one is aptly titled as a minor miscalculation. Uh, do either one of you want to say what the minor miscalculation was? Um, so apparently uh, he, he messed up the symbiotic kind of give and take when he was messing with the plants. And uh, the plant part of the, the hybrid plant and human people became dominant. Yeah, so he had previously modified the like genetic code of these plants or like the substance that they produce to what was it like incapacitate the president the president's son yeah the president's yeah. son yes and we saw that in a previous issue mm-hmm. yeah where he and it turns out he may have uh, inadvertently unleashed a genetic plant overmind like hive mind mm-hmm. that That genocided the entire country? A minor miscalculation on Beast's part. Yeah, he, uh, the last paragraph of this is very funny to me. Uh, he concludes, this is a good thing. It it, it makes them more aware and prepared of what could happen if this happened to Krakoa. So ultimately, it's gonna benefit them. (laughs) And, like, that's, that's great, right? It's, they're they're doing good work. (laughs) Two two thumbs up. I, I appreciate Beast's way of spinning this into... As positive as you can be for accidentally killing a whole nation, or seemingly killing a whole nation, but I wouldn't put this as a minor miscalculation. This is a pretty big, you know, mess up. A fucky wucky, if you may. <laughs> yeah, say. it's just a, a little bit. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a oopsie daisy. Mm-hmm. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. So yeah, th- things are things are bad there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I do like this this like unhinged portrayal of of uh, beast here. Yeah. Yeah, because he was put in charge of, you know, keeping Krakoa safe, and he did so in the best way he thought possible. Yes, it produced a weird side effect, but that's still good. It's, um, I, I feel like just showing evil beast is, you know, it's it's something, like him just doing some messed up stuff. But I, I do really like these, like, logbooks of beast trying to justify his actions to himself. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, yeah, he's he's certainly trying uh-huh. Um, anyway, we go back to Krakowa to see Black Tom uh, trying to psych himself up to go out and help everybody else. Mm-hmm. Krakoa doesn't want him to leave, but that's okay. He'll just eat some dirt and then head through because everything will be all right. Yeah. 
And back in the temple, we have Domino now fully living her life as Indiana Jones, jumping over pits full of spikes and snakes, booby traps, evil plants. Honestly, it's a lot of fun. I really like it. Yeah, I, I like the her kind of conclusion here that like not dying in this situation is blind luck, which is, you know, happens to be her power, so mm-hmm. works out. Um, she uses her plant arm to give her like night vision, which I think is neat. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so before she had night vision, she does mention not seeing anything at all. So it, are we meant to assume that what she's doing is blindly jumping and just rolling and guessing where things might be? I, I'm assuming and so, that's, yeah. That's how lucky she is, that she's nailing everything without yeah. even knowing it is there. Just uh, jumping through like Indiana cool. Jones, Jones traps with no vision whatsoever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, Which is... Oh, go ahead. It, I, uh, yeah, I just think it's really funny that she's, like, often blindsided by stuff. Like, she's capable of being blindsided by stuff. Uh, but since she's, like, consciously acting on a thread that she knows is... She kind of knows is there. It, it gives her the power to avoid it. I don't know how that works. It feels like her powers tend to, you know, kick in when it's convenient. Yes. Rather than, yeah. than be a consistent thing. Because then she'd be pretty much invincible if this is how it works. Yes. Yeah, That that's basically what I was going to say, too. Her powers are all over the place, and it really depends on how yeah. she needs to be written in the moment. Which, in this case, she is better than Spider-Man. Yeah, I could believe there is a sweet point in terms of, like, awareness of a threat that really helps her. Uh, in that she knows she's in a dangerous situation, and there are definitely traps laid, uh, but she doesn't know what they are. So she's not completely, like, unaware of it existing mm-hmm. um, that way she would be in other situations. Maybe, maybe you know, there's a sweet spot between n- not being entirely aware and being completely aware that nullifies, or rather that, that makes her power kick in uh, instead of, like, nullifying it. Yeah, and I wonder if it's just possible for her to just get in a situation that's, like, so bad that luck can't actually help. Yeah, because it, it feels like that's kind of what happened at the, be- the beginning of this run, with her getting captured by uh, the Peacock Tattoos group. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so she um, she manages to track Wolverine into a room where he is um, seems to be being sacrificed by a plant person. Mm-hmm. A, a uh-huh. really nice, just big old one page image of this looks great. You know, this this whole kind of story that is going on, it does have that, you know, dark undertone of what Beast has done and caused this to happen. But this is just kind of a fun, wacky adventure where Wolverine may get his heart ripped out, but eh, that's, a, that's a, you know, minor side effect. Yeah, and it's just not one person, but uh, this, like, cult of plant people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's... And the stabbing is made is being done by one person. Yeah. It's surrounded by a lot of other plant humanoid monsters. Mm-hmm. And some animalistic monsters, as Domino is going to be attacked by a another jaguar-looking plant monster. Not as cool as the one we saw last issue, but still a problem. Uh, I would like to just point out that Domino tells them to go mulch themselves, which is uh, <sighs> it's a bad line, but I appreciate it. Look, her luck can only go so far, and that does not involve one-liners. Yeah. Meanwhile, back at the point, Beast is desperately trying to get in touch with the X-Force, 
and Jean Grey shows up, and she's um, not happy. Yes, and I think that's the one person you don't want to make mad at you, because <laughs> she is very uh-huh. threatening as she floats in she, through the waterfall. Yeah, just uh, coming in like a vengeful spirit. <laughs> yeah, so we do learn over this that Jean was able to read Beast's mind and found out about this minor miscalculation that he made about killing a whole country. She is, of course, not happy about it, but Beast still has his positive counterpoints that, you know, sometimes you have to kill one nation to save a few others, including Krakoa. Oh, yeah, Beast is um, twisting himself in circles here. Uh, Jean Grey is mad that she lied to them and just, like, clearly kept them out of the loop on something they would probably disapprove of. And Beast manages to somehow loop this around into, uh, what's the line? Maybe I should be the one upset since you breached my mind without permission. It's like, bro. No. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, you, nah, man. No, <laughs> like, you can't you can't spin this back over to what Gene did. Yes, maybe questionable. We'll talk about that later. You possibly killed an entire nation of people. Have you ever like known the the couple where um Someone, like, looked through someone's phone and found out they were cheating, and the person that had their phone looked through is mad about it? Yes. Like, that's that's this, mm-hmm. except, you know, in the you know, CIA. You know, maybe the mutants are a threat. <laughs> yeah. Maybe, yeah, maybe mutants are the threat. Ma- maybe maybe Beast is a threat. <laughs> um, yeah, maybe Beast is the threat. Um, but I did find it kind of not interesting. It's more like, oh, yeah, no, that did coincide. But this, you know, comes out in July, or came out in July of 2020, and one of Beast's line is about how if a vaccine harms one person but negates harm to a million, you can't let the one consume your logic. Which, okay, Beast, fair enough. But still, this is very different. But we're not talking about we're not talking about one here. Yeah, we're not talking about one. We're talking about and also an entire country. Yeah, Beast. Look, <laughs> very very different. I was just amused that it, that comment came out and still in this printed issue in 2020. In the middle of the COVID yeah. pandemic. Uh, yeah, so we get another data page here, the Conscious of Warfare. Um, you want to wanna tell us about this one a little bit, Chris? I mean, it can be summed up with, hey, maybe this mutant Terra Verde and Krakoa aren't that different, but who's evil? Who's good? I don't know. Depends on how you look at it. Yeah, uh, this one's interesting because I feel like we don't really know who's writing it, but we do get like a Russian character at the end. Yes, which I believe is the same one as a data page not that long ago that we got in X-Force. Uh, I believe it's still Chronicler. I, did, I right. did not translate this one, but I believe it is the same as the last one. It looks the same at the very least. Hmm. Uh, but yeah, it's it's more just like Gene being like, we we need to hold each other accountable. We cannot keep secrets from each other in X-Force. Um, but yeah, so uh, back in uh, Terra Verde... Uh, Black Tom's uh, heroic rescue is not going super well. Nope. He he can control plants, but I guess not when it is mutated and trying to eat him. Yeah, uh, but it's okay, because Jean Grey and Sage wearing, um, like, safari clothes mm-hmm. show up. Yeah, with a canteen, by the way. She's very prepared. Yeah. Yeah, c- kind of, again, builds into this, this is kind of a wacky adventure going on, because Sage had time to change. You know, I don't think she had this ready to go uh, the moment Jean was like, hey, we got to go save everybody. 
Yeah, I, no? I feel like you just... don't think she was already wearing this. Uh, mm, I... I can't rule out the possibility, but I find it unlikely. You know, pockets are really helpful in a lot of situations, not just tackling the jungle monsters. This is what Kid Omega should have worn. <laughs> That is what he should have worn, but unfortunately, he was wearing what, like a leather jacket, jeans. Uh, and speaking yeah. of jeans, Jean is um, I'm sorry, it was a I'm, terrible I'm transition. really proud of you for that one. That one was great. Pat yourself yeah, on the back. Yeah, segue. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there's there's a uh kind of reoccurring thing throughout the rest of this fight where Jean Grey is um. Constantly just saying like, uh, yeah, we're we're not doing hero shit. We're we're here to get dirty, so we're gonna fight in some uh, not super heroic ways. Mm -hmm. And part of that is working together, as she puts a hand on Black Tom's shoulder and Sage's shoulder. Uh, before we cut back into the temple, where things are not going great in there. Uh, Kid Omega has been stabbed and has turned into a plant person. I'm assuming he is again dead. Uh, I would hope Wait, so. Wait, I thought, I thought uh, Chris said things were not going great, but what you just said. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah that's, that's pretty, it's pretty great. Yeah, you're right. Uh, yeah, it's pretty fantastic. Yeah, no, you're right. That is a good part. Domino is about to be ripped apart by a plant jaguar. That's not great. But the, the kid compost, as somebody calls him here... No, that's actually pretty great. It's funny to me that he yeah. died again. This is what his third time. Yeah, he's he's been dead a lot. <laughs> yeah, he's not very good. He really at this. should stay that way. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he won't. But yes, but yeah, um, th things don't seem to be going super well for Wolverine and Domino as they just keep getting attacked by the plants. Um, Wolverine kind of seems to mule over. Like, do humans see us the same way that we see these plants? Like, are we something invasive? Are we, like, vines just choking the trees? Uh, which is a little bit interesting, I guess. Uh, it doesn't really super go anywhere. Um, and then we cut back to Jean. Um, not really sure what they do here. She she says they're like the Trojan virus. Mm -hmm. You use tech words to make this seem cool. Yeah. Um, um, I mean, from my understanding, it's just Sage is really good at technology. Telefloronics is kind of a technology. It's, that one's a stretch, but hey, you've got Black Tom there, so I guess you can combine powers. And they rewrite the cellular code of this invasive plant monstrosity, basically, that has been born. Yeah, but the, the plants die off. Wolverine and Domino are free. Uh, Gene speculates that Beast prefers to probably turn the nation into an extended Republic of Krakoa, uh, and then says she's done, and we're we're done with uh, Terra Verde for now. Mm -hmm. uh, unclear if any of the Terra Verdeans are alive. There's a lot of bodies here in this sacrificial room that are now left just as humans. But, I mean, we don't see any of them move, because right after this, we're going to be back in Krakoa, so we don't know, actually, what happened with Terra Verde at the moment. The day is saved. We did it, everyone. Yeah, we did it. <laughs> Mission accomplished. Good job, everyone. We saved the city. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, so we, we go back to Krakoa in a place called the Broken Baths. I think this is the first time we're seeing this. It looks like a bunch of hot tubs. Yes, this is the first time, and it's super sick. I really like it. It's a bunch of hot tubs over a cliff. 
facing the ocean. It looks serene. I love it. Yeah, I do. Um, I do think the name is kind of a uh, misnomer. I I don't see what this is the broken bats about. This is just a couple of hot springs. Yeah, it's because they don't need like, a they don't need a cool name for everything. You can just yeah. name these the hot springs that you know nice lookout <laughs> point hot springs. Yeah, mm-hmm. hot springs point. Yeah, you don't have to call these the broken bats. Nothing broken about them. Yeah, maybe you have to be broken to bathe in them. That was going to be my assumption, is you have to be a broken person to go there. Which is why Wolverine is hanging out there. Yeah, just drinking a beer. Looks You must very... be this angsty to enter. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you have to... We got a mutant that measures angst that's just posted mm. up outside the entrance. They really needed to give them a job. Mm-hmm. This is yeah. what they came up with. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so they asked Krakoa to make these hot springs just for them. Yeah, so uh, Wolverine's just sitting here, just drinking a beer, looking, looking real, uh, real comfy when uh, Jean wanders in and says that she has quit X Force. Mm-hmm. Which Wolverine guesses before she even says it. Yeah. You know, just to again kind of hone in, like, hey, these two are really close, and they get close there, you know, for most of this. Uh, but yeah, she did not like how that went. She does not like this darkness and secrets that X-Force is doing. And she realizes that it's not for her. Yeah. Um, Logan kind of mentions here that she was kind of the moral compass. Jean uh, points out that Sage can be that. Um, and also mentions that maybe he should. they should reach out to Colossus. Mm-hmm. To just kind of get some people on the team that, you know, are less... Beast like Yeah, maybe question the murder before you commit the murder. Uh, because Wolverine yeah. definitely is not that. Domino doesn't seem to be that either. Uh, Kid Omega is not even in the question. It's really just yeah. Sage, and Sage doesn't go out much. Yeah, um, still kind of hanging out. Um, but yeah, Gene, Gene kind of points out that defending against the worst isn't also about hoping for the best. And just kind of seems disillusioned with, like, the whole X-Force thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, which, again, totally don't blame her after what just happened. Yeah. Uh, But Logan says that optimism really doesn't seem to be the way to go for him. Um, But, yeah, then there's kind of some talk of them just being a little bit... uh, Logan still thinks he's a little bit toxic, which, you know, fair. And that's the end of the issue. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I for one, I'm glad that Jean can, you know, just forget about X Force and uh, be safe in the knowledge that there is nothing else wrong with Krakoa. Yeah, it's the only bad thing about it. Yes, it it seems. I I don't know if I love Jean Grey just kind of like up and quitting here. Maybe it's something where, like, I completely understand that, like, you know, morally she's not about it, but she's not really doing anything about it yeah i mean she's just she doesn't like when the quiet part gets said out loud yeah yeah it's what it's what is happening here and so she's just kind of washing her hands of the whole thing and is just not gonna think about it anymore which uh-huh like i i guess but i don't know it, it feels like this is a kind of thing where she should be doing more if it's like this morally like of an issue for her, which to be fair, it should be like what, what they're doing here is not great. Yeah. To me, X-Force has turned into a 
collection of people deluding themselves about what they're doing and what Krakoa stands for and what they do within Krakoa. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is interesting. I really do hope it goes somewhere. I, I think the Domino stuff is real promising and easily the most interesting part of like these two past uh, issues, this like mini arc in Terra Verde. So I'm, I'm really hoping that pans out. Yeah, we will definitely see. Uh, but yeah, that's the end of our X-Force arc, and we want to go into Excalibur. Uh, yes. Yeah. Uh, but before that, next time we do see X-Force, which is going to be a bit, it's actually going to be the first part of the Path to X of Swords, which is going to be not our first event that's going to happen, but the first major mutant event that is going to happen in the comics. Yeah. So, so yeah, take it, taking a bit of a break from X Force. I, I did look at the reading order and see it's a it's gonna be a bit before we go back to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but we have a lot of new ones that are gonna be coming in pretty soon. Righty, so yeah, that's fun. With Excalibur, uh, we are here at Excalibur number nine, verse nine, Schools of Magic. Uh, still written by Teeny Howard, and this one was released in March of 2020. Uh, and this one, I feel like we're going. Someplace completely different again, <laughs> which seems to be a theme for Excalibur, which is every issue is something very different. I have the feeling I'm going to need some context for this one. Uh, I We will try to provide. I don't know how much context yeah. I have either. Um, but opening up here, we get a voiceover as Apocalypse tasks Excalibur to find their way to the Starlight Citadel to seek audience with Omniversal Guardian... Opal Luna Saturnine, the ruler of the Citadel. Great yeah, name. Fantastic name. Sure, I love her name. It's one of my favorite things about her. And this was the, uh, these were the forces that were fighting Morgan Le Fay uh, early on. Yes, we got a, a, not a random data page about it, but we got that in some battle lines that had been drawn. So her name's been dropped before, but we have not actually seen her before. Right. Uh, this is a character that has shown up in like, uh, previous Excalibur stuff. Uh, I, I really don't have much context with her. I don't think I got to that stuff, but yeah, she's she's been around. Yeah, and we're going to be uh, learning more about her with a data page that is coming up, uh, just to explain a bit more. But yeah, a lot of this is old Excalibur, uh, which I also have never read. So a lot of it just draws from that. So, Morgan Le Fay, not Otherworld's de facto ruler? No. Yeah, I, I think it's um, yeah, I think it's Luna here. Okay, does she rule over the like fake or rather like Camelot, like the? Yeah. Yeah, I think Morgan. I think Morgan Le Fay was ruling over Camelot, but like, but that's not uh, like the way it's always been. No. Yeah, I, I think uh, uh, how do you pronounce this name? Saturnine. Saturnine is how I say it. Saturnine. Saturnine. Okay. Uh, Saturnine was uh like actually ruling over like all of Otherworld. I yeah. think is like because she's in control of the Starlight Citadel. I think is what's happening here. Yes, I think we're going to get it a data page way later on that explains it a lot better or we've already passed it and I don't remember. Uh but Otherworld the way it is set up is kind of like the spokes of a wheel where in the center you have the Starlight Citadel. And then each section of the wheel is a different world. So you have Camelot, which Morgan Le Fay has been trying to take over 
and then you have different areas that are part of it. So Saturnine is in the center, and she just rules all of it. Yeah, I believe we get more into this next sword. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but yeah, so they're um, they they want to get in touch with Saturnine, and they they got these Warwolves school skulls to do that. Uh, they are currently refusing their messages. Yes, and we do learn that all of this has really been put in motion by Apocalypse because he wants to make the lands that were one back together again. So the very, not very old story, but back in the beginning when we were told about Arako and Krakoa, that's what this is about. Yeah. Uh, Gambit gives him some sass. Never change Gambit. Yeah, no. I Again, I love how dramatic Apocalypse is during this entire thing. Where he's like, I I asked them to do the hardest thing possible. To live fighting eternally. Okay, yeah. Apocalypse. He's great. I love him. Uh, but hey. Go to bed. Data page time. We're going to learn a little bit about the Starlight Citadel. Uh, kind of what we just covered. It is the main hub and gathering point of Otherworld and its realities. It was once ruled by Merlin, the Arthurian legend Merlin. But it is now Saturnines. Uh, the Captain Britain Corp also used to call this their home, but they have mysteriously disappeared. Yeah, that's that's pretty much it. Um, Saturnine has uh, known for her ambition, and she's she said like she got this into this position through like going for that, and not just like having it like gifted to her. Which hey, you know what? We stand a girl boss. You go off. Yeah, uh, Merlin used to be the guardian of this. It is currently not. Um, but yeah, so that's that's kind of our status quo here. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but it, meanwhile, at the the very cozy looking lighthouse, mm-hmm. uh, the war wolf skulls are now glowing and are at the top of the lighthouse. Why? Eh. It's supposed to open the way to finding the Starlight Citadel. I don't know why it has to be in the lighthouse, but it looks really cool. Yeah, I, I kind of like this little scene of just, like, the rain coming down while they're just, like, all up there. Like, it, again, it looks cozy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think cozy is a good word for it. And as they are all... I, oh, go ahead. Sorry. I, I like the, uh, how plant-like this looks as well. Just kind of wanted to point that out, but yeah, I don't know. I, I like the design of this a lot. But, yeah, uh, Brian Braddock rolls up not long after this. Mm-hmm. It doesn't say anything, and again... As a reminder, uh, he failed his choice of becoming Captain Britain again uh, because of what happened to him under Morgan Le Fay's control. So he's kind of going through an existential crisis at the moment. Uh, Betsy hasn't really had a chance to talk to him, and it looks like she's not going to get one here because Brian is there, touches some grass for a bit, and then drives off. Sometimes you just gotta touch grass. <laughs> drive all the way to the edge of Britain to touch some grass and then drive away. That's yeah. a specifically that grass they mean when they say that. Not a lot of yeah, people know that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, it's it's okay. very specifically go touch that grass. Okay, so I've yes. been doing it wrong this whole yeah. time. Yeah. God. Okay. Meanwhile, at the Starlight Citadel. Mm-hmm. At the place that is very hard to find, uh, we see some of the priests and priestesses uh, running through its magnificently white marble halls with a lot of gold and white and plants going on. A lot of windows, too. Also, I, I, I feel like we should describe what this looks like. 
uh, Sergio, do you want to give give that a crack? Uh, the thing it reminds me of is one of the locations in the Shira Netflix show. Ooh. Oh, what what is that? Oh God, I don't. I I watched it so long ago. I don't even know what its name was. But it was also this like floating castle. Yes, that looked real fancy with like a lot of long hallways, beautifully decorated. Um, you know, very. It it all it's also flowery, but in a way that feels very ornamental rather than the functional style of Krakoa, mm-hmm. and it's extremely yeah. clean, uh, right? Clean white marble, gold. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I would agree with you. I also don't remember the name of the place in Shira, but I know what you're talking about. It's it's not the the stereotypical. Oh, this is the castle or home of the good guys but it definitely evokes that feeling yeah uh so yeah we got two uh young looking people that are delivering it looks like a bag to uh saturnine here uh who just kind of grabs it from them through the door uh very fast mm-hmm. yeah they're a bit disappointed Moon is the name of the of the shira palace oh well there you go it is the residence of the royal Brightmoon family. Yeah, it's a that's a good show, by the way. You're yes, I I uh, second that. That's a great show. I almost did a segue of speaking of great things, but this is not great for them uh, because as these two priests are waiting, kind of debating what to do, they turn around and they see Apocalypse's giant face in the sky looking at them, and they're debating whether or not he can see them. Oh yeah, that does look really similar. Yeah, I, I can see why that gives you the the same kind of vibe. Mm-hmm. It just has an air yeah. about it. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, as they kind of debate that, they say, yeah, it's it's probably not a big deal. We're, we're completely cloaked. It's, you know, it's wartime. We're in any danger. Uh, we'd probably have the bells ringing. And, uh, yep, cue the bells ring. Mm-hmm people looking up trying to figure out what's going on and we see what we presume to be Saturnine near a broken mirror her room in disarray and she doesn't look happy she's doing that thing where you know you put your hands on the rails looking over when you're really stressed that's what she's doing yeah but back in London yeah back looks like we have a Coven Akaba meeting mm-hmm, back with our friends Mariana Stern and Reuben Wilmont as they're talking about how, hey, they're not doing too good. The the mutants have been winning. No one has heard from Morgan Le Fay in, the, in a while. And they believe that she's probably mad at them. And they should repent for their actions. Yeah, we, we got Jamie on the throne. That's not good. Apocalypse is backing him. That's not good. There's a mutant Captain Britain. We don't like that. Uh, so yeah, they're, they're not having a good day. They are uh, to betray the greeting, not Mary. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, so someone's being sacrificed uh, ritualistically. Uh, kind of a kind of a running theme with these two issues. Yeah, it really does seem that way. Lots of stabbing. Yeah. Yeah, but this one is successful in its stabbing, whereas the other one was not, uh, because this guy is definitely murdered as he is stabbed in the heart. Uh, and we see one of the cultists in robes run away and run out of the room. And we find out that it is not a cultist. 
uh, but it is actually our friend Megan. Uh, and she was hired by Pete Wisdom to go undercover and try and figure out what the cult is doing. Yeah, this the is the easiest undercover job of all time. Yeah. Go go stand in a hood. Mm-hmm. She was just, like, down a corridor. Yeah. yeah. They're, they're, like, renting a room. Yeah, just at some building. Yeah. It, Pete Wisdom's just out here. I mean, as she opens the door to run out of it, the guy being murdered, you can hear his screaming coming through the door. Yeah. Maybe that's just... Yeah, Pete's just, Pete's just hanging around in his car. Yeah. Like, he was outside, even. Maybe... Having a lollipop? Maybe screaming <laughs> is traditional London noises? I'm not sure. So maybe it was just not cause for alarm for most people. They don't have a single lookout? Yeah, I, I'm we, a little bit questioning the uh, the efficiency here of Coven Akaba. This, this seems very poorly thought out. Maybe, you know, one magical barrier there? Like, your magical cultists or whatever? Mm -hmm. Or like, yeah, you, you know, you... Do you think one yeah. of them would, would notice the person that, like, all of a sudden hard sprints out of the room? Mm hmm They don't have, like, closed circuit? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, not, not, not the best security here. Just... No. No. I also question uh, Morgan, or not Morgan, Megan doing this with uh, Pete Wisdom's blessing. I know the two of them also have a history in older Excalibur comics, and uh, Megan is a pretty accomplished uh, magician in her own right. But the way she's been portrayed in the comics so far, it when I saw that she was the one hiding undercover in the coven, I was like, wait a second. Why is she doing this? And, yeah. and it's never really cleared up. It's just, we have a few, what is this, three pages of her running out, talking to Pete Wisdom, and then we're back in Otherworld for a bit. Yeah, and yeah, that we kind of just get some exposition here. It it kind of doesn't feel like the most like well thought out. It's just kind of like, oh, who's who's gonna be the spy? Well, we haven't done something with Megan for a bit. Let's she can do it. Yeah, I almost would kind of have preferred this be like a data page. You yeah. could have just had it from the Coven's perspective of like, oh, we really messed up. We sacrificed somebody to make Morgan Le Fay happy, but we still haven't heard from her. That's weird. And then, you know, just go on with the comic. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We we kind of get some talk with these two about, like, the state of it. Apparently, Coven Akaba wants to provoke Jamie. Uh, they they talk about Krakwa a bit. Brian's not doing super well. Uh, Megan hints at Pete, Wisdom, and Betsy being a thing. And, yeah, it's, it's about the end of the scene. Yep. It's kind of, kind of an exposition dump of a couple pages here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and then a, a, not an Excalibur classic, but it definitely something that happens a lot is we're going to jump completely to Otherworld with not a lot of explanation as the last time we saw Betsy and crew, uh, they were just kind of hanging out in the lighthouse. Now we're in Otherworld and they have found the Starlight Citadel. Yeah, I mean, they, they did say they were leaving now. That's true. But yeah. I, I do kind of wish there was like an in-between scene here of Apocalypse being like, hey, I found it. Here it is. You should go there and see what's up. Instead of just hard cutting to them being like, oh, hey, we found it. Good job, team. Yeah. 
We don't have that many pages. Uh, we gotta go. I know, I know. There's yeah. only so much space that they can work with, but it's it's just a very awkward cut for me. It kind of downplays the importance of the Warwolf skulls, honestly. Because for a yeah. bit, I didn't really understand how they found it or jumped to here until I was like, okay, wait. They had the skulls. It was like a background thing. And- yeah, it's, it's something with the skulls and whatever the heck Apocalypse like gave to her. Yeah, and his face but- in the sky, I'm assuming. Yeah, uh, but yeah, so uh, they're they're flying over. Shogo is hungry. Mm-hmm. We we get the return of really cute uh, psychic Shogo here as his dragon face is buried in like a bucket of fish. Yeah, and everyone's just kind of hanging out. We get uh, a little bit of a fun scene uh, of everybody just kind of like settling in at their little campground here. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gamp Rogue thinks it's pretty. Gambit thinks it's cold. Uh, Gambit immediately grabs some flint and starts a fire, and uh, people tell them to flirt less. <laughs> I don't think that's possible for those two. Yeah. Which also, um, shout out to Rogue's outfit. Amazing. You put a cape on anybody, it's great, but man, she makes it work. Yeah, looks good. I, I like this scene here of um, Betsy bringing the rabbits back, Jubilee saying she doesn't want to eat rabbits and saying she wants to eat protein bars. Richter asking for one only to realize it's a candy bar. Mm-hmm. It's, it's funny. <laughs> yeah, that's a good that's a good bit. Yeah, no, it's, yeah. it's a fun bit. It This is the kind of scene I wish was more in Excalibur throughout these issues. Just these kind of like downtime moments where everybody can just kind of banter and get along and everything. It's really nice. It does end pretty quickly for this, but like the small glimpse of it kind of gives me of like a what could have been. Yeah, and uh, apparently Betsy also kind of points out here very haphazardly that uh, apparently the Captain Britons uh, were not just gone; they've been destroyed. So I, I wonder if that's a Secret Wars thing. I looked it up. Uh, that is actually something that started in this comic. Okay. So as of right now, in this period of time back in 2020 we have no clue what happened they're just gone all right before this comic are the captain britons like the green lanterns of marvel comics yes Uh, kind of they're all usually like brian variants but yeah that it's kind of like a multiverse thing where all of them Mm -hmm. from the multiverse just kind of gather here uh other world is like a focal point like in all of the multiverses that actually have like the same like other world. Um, I think uh, Saturnine here is actually not from like our or like the, the main Marvel universe. She's from like Earth 9 or something. Okay. Is there a Camelot Brian or is Camelot and London the same thing as far as other worlds concerned? I. There is. From my understanding, yeah. the connection is is there's the central other world, and there is always a Captain Britain, meaning Britain always exists in every single multiverse. So, and because the multiverse is infinite, you know, et cetera, et cetera, there can just be a, a Camelot Brian somewhere out there. There can also be a dinosaur or a werewolf or a robot Brian that are all Captain Britons. Okay, but. Yeah. You know, Camelot and London are not two different spokes in the wheel, are they? No. No. They are, they're like their own thing with like this like 
double-sided coin. Yeah, like well, uh, of a coin kind of thing. I believe Camelot is like a spoke in the wheel, but yes. London is not. Okay. London is just London. I think. Yes. Uh, again, we'll we'll get yeah, more into course. this later in Excalibur, but like, uh, but just London. <laughs> yeah, London's just London. Uh, but yeah, so uh, back to the Starlight Citadel. Um, Saturnine's talking about like uh, gotta gotta do something about these mutants, I guess. Mm-hmm. The, the balance of power has been upset, and we must correct. Yeah. It. Uh, yeah. Morgan Morgan Lefay did some foolish stuff, and now we got mutants here. Uh, hunt them down. Uh, he- uh, bring them to heal, and we get a data page here about uh the mm-hmm. rite of initiation of the White Priestess, the Moonlight uh, Diadem. Uh, yep. 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 I, it's a lot yep. of magic. Uh, in um, yep. in the last page, as she's giving the speech, she gives all of her priestesses these kind of head pieces, basically, and that's what the moonlit diadem is. They can summon beams of light anywhere and make light arrows and light bows. It's honestly really cool yeah, once think, we see them, but I don't know if we need two pages of it. Yeah, I think we have to sing to do it as well. But yep. Um, yep. We'll, we'll we'll move on from that. <laughs> it, it's more magic nonsense, but it's not fun like apocalypses. Yeah, yeah. I I find it real interesting how the data page with this like call and response segment of the ritual uh, is explicitly called a part of the Saturninian mysteries, which is very Catholic. Mm-hmm. I just I just think it's interesting. Mm-hmm. This this is very recognizable to someone who's. Being Catholic in the past as a, you know, rosary thing, rosary reading thing. Yeah, I could definitely see that. Interesting. I wonder if that was on purpose uh, from Teeny Howard or if that's just how it ended uh, up being. Yeah, I mean, it kind of looks like it's on purpose. <laughs> it is. I mean, it's yeah. very purposeful, I think. Yeah, it, it feels There's very no deliberate. There's no way this I is agree. a purpose. Yeah. This is just how, you know, if you switch some words around, this is just reading the rosary yeah okay very fair i was not raised catholic so i don't know uh so i will take your both of your words for it i can i can see my grandma like chanting this (laughs) (laughs) if she starts uh you know shooting beams of light out of the sky uh please let us know yeah Yeah. likewise please let me know if my grandma's shooting beams of light (laughs) I, i i can't make that promise i'm sorry okay uh, but if you, listener, do, you know, you can send that to us at studyofx at gmail.com. Does your yes. grandma shoot beams of light? Not enough question. Not enough beams of light being shot in Catholicism, honestly. <laughs> that would make it cooler. But honestly, it would uh-huh. make a lot of things cooler. Uh, like these next few pages. How about that for a segue? Yeah, it works. Let's go. <laughs> hey, we're we're doing the we're doing the best we can here at this uh, one year of excellence. Uh, so we are back with the crew as Betsy and Rogue kind of have a moment to themselves. As Betsy is still, you know, struggling at, to be accepted as Captain Britain. You know, she questions why the Starlight Citadel has been cut off to her and everything. But they are interrupted by a bunch of singing people coming in through a blaze of light from the sky as they start to shoot light arrows everywhere. It's very angelic. It does look very cool. Yeah. Um, it looks like yeah. they're singing the arrows into being, which is really fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
uh, Shogo immediately gets an arrow through the wing. Yeah, which really sucks because they basically just shot a baby. Uh, that's not cool. Uh, so Betsy immediately tries to telepathically calm him down enough to get him to land safely as the rest of the crew just kind of jumps into action. Yeah. Um, Jubilee says, hey, t- tell them, tell Shogo not to look and uh, just unleashes this like firework power. Like it's she basically cluster bombs these like white witches. Mm-hmm. It's really cool looking, but yeah. Yeah, it's really cool. I really like the sequence where she's like, yeah, no, tell him not to look, because I'm about to just ruin everyone's day. I really like the colors being used in that middle panel, and I really like how these things look like basically swords mm-hmm. ready to go down on them. Yeah, it's it's very cool looking. Yeah, a lot of mm-hmm. just excellent... Uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? artistic choices there we go just everything about this is wonderful yeah um we go back to saturnine who was watching this and is like hmm okay i guess it's war um which you know not not like she she didn't shoot first but hey don't worry about it yeah uh but yeah so she gets the bag out and we get um she says she's going to destroy whatever we see fit and we see like a little Four Captain Britons here, but one of them is Jubilee, one of them is Richter, one of them is Gambit, and one of them is Rogue. So, yeah, don't know what that's all about. I guess we'll see later. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love Jubilee's. Uh, yeah, I do too. It's the glasses and yeah, the fact that the, she's got the a glasses gum. are very good. Yeah, bubblegum, bubblegum going yeah. on, it's great. I, I think Richter's might might look the worst. Yeah, yeah. It's it's kind of the the V up at the top. It looks like a suit, and his hair it, is it not just doing looks it too... for him. It looks it looks too Captain Brittany. Like it, it took me a little bit to be like, oh yeah, I guess this is Richter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then Rogue just has a face mask, which that is very cool yeah. and intimidating. But all right, uh, do we want to head into giant size X Men Nightcrawler? Yes, I do. Yeah. Let me bring that up. Let's uh, check in with Kurt and see what he's up to. Yeah. yeah, I'm sure things are going well for him. Uh, so. For giant-sized X-Men Nightcrawler, uh, titled Haunted Mansion, uh, this is written by Jonathan Hickman. Uh, the artist is Alan Davis, uh, which I did have to look him up. Uh, he is a Claremont-era artist for the X-Men. Uh, he is actually the co-creator of Excalibur and worked on titles such as Uncanny X-Men, the main X-Men title, Captain Britain, Fantastic Four, even did work for DC with Batman, He's been around for a while and is a very, very well-renowned artist in the comic book world. Okay, so classic stuff. And we're going back to the mansion, too, so that's fun. Yeah, so there's a big classic vibe that is going to come from this, and I do believe that was fully the intent. Uh, And I did mention it last time when we were talking about the giant-sized X-Men issues, uh, and unfortunately, I can't find my original source, uh, there is a hint of it in a Screen Rant article that I found, but I can't find my original one. Uh, but essentially, it was an interview with Jonathan Hickman that explained that his idea for these side stories for characters, uh, such as this Nightcrawler one, and then the Jean Grey and Emma Frost that we have, was to basically get together with big artists in the Marvel catalog and just do a showcase for these artists per issue. So while Jonathan Hickman is credited as the writer and is the top billing as the writer for all of these, 
It was also co-written by the artist in question, as he basically went up to them and said, what is a story you would like to tell? And I will help you make it so you can draw the things you want to draw. And as part of that, uh, he did mention that he did not have a specific title in mind for these side stories. They were just kind of the idea came first and then later down the line as the editorial office above him was trying to decide, okay, what do we actually name these comics? Uh, They decided to name it Giant Sized X-Men so as to not confuse it with the main line of comics that was going on at the time. So you don't see X-Men Nightcrawler and think, oh, this is related to the main line X-Men story that's going on. It's like, well, no, this is a side thing. Uh, So even though Giant Sized X-Men has a history of being a redefining for X-Men, and that's usually what the title is used for. That's not the case with these, so going into it expecting a lot of changes for the status quo uh, is not correct. I believe I said that a lot last time where I was like, I don't understand why those are giant-sized X-Men. That's the reason why. It was just really a marketing decision and not a creative decision. Yeah, that that kind of tracks. I think that makes sense, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So going into it with that mindset, uh, we're going to open this comic uh, in Westchester as we see the old X-Men mansion as it has been overgrown and essentially left to rot at this point as everybody has moved to Krakoa. And we see a fun cast of characters come through the gates with Magic, Cypher, Nightcrawler, Lockheed the Dragon, and one of my favorites, Eyeboy. Uh, as they come through the gate, because it seems that the gate has registered that someone has been coming near it, but nobody is going through. So they are here to investigate. Yeah. I, I think it's interesting how Lockheed's here. Yeah, he just brought the dragon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You think, like, Kate is uh, still dead right now, or, <laughs> like... Uh... A bit of a gray area. I I did see some discussion online that tried to place when this comic happens. Some people think it's pretty early in Krakoa. Some people think it's later. It's it's up to your imagination. I'm going to go with early. I I think this fits well. Yeah, I'm going to say early too. Also, I I think this is very funny uh, Lockheed. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It... At first, when I first read through this uh, for the podcast, I was like, okay, I'm fine with the comic, you know, it's all right. And, you know, I kind of keep with that opinion. But knowing that Alan Davis is a Claremont-era artist and that he's from the, you know, the classic era, I'm like, okay, the design choices, the way everybody looks, that makes more sense. This is what Lockheed used to really look like, and it does look silly, but it fits, you know... The time frame for the artist. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that does provide a very useful context. So yeah, we're uh, we're here. We're ready to investigate the mansion. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're first going to get some information from iBoy. Uh, and I have to ask Sergio, do you know iBoy? I do now. Okay. Uh, but no, I'd never heard of him before. What What do you think of our boy iBoy? Does he live up to his name? Yeah. Yeah, I, I I think he earns it. That that is a lot of ice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and yeah, to describe this guy, he is um, a young man with eyes everywhere. 
He has eyes on the palm of his hand, all over his arms. I'm assuming all over the rest of his body. Uh, but he can use them to see into infrared, night vision, oral, thermal, essentially every single way something can be detected through sight. And he says the place looks empty uh, as they are in the X-Mansion here, but he sees signs of movement everywhere. Do you yeah, think he's conscious of all of those eyes? Like, at the same time? All the time? I believe so. I also think so. Do you think it's, like, uncomfortable for him to get into, like, a pool or, Ooh. like, take a bath? Ooh. Yeah, that's a good question. I probably. I would imagine over time he has had to get used to it and just kind of learn to live with it. But no, that yeah, that does not does... sound fun. Yeah, you, you gotta be very careful with, like, soap. Oh, yeah. 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 You could also... Those are so many eyes to, like, micromanage. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, um, we get some creepy noises. Um, everybody's looking around. Uh, Lockheed immediately takes off and just starts, like, burning stuff down. Mm-hmm. Doing what a dragon does and is just trying to take down this forest. And it takes a good bit of wrestling from Nightcrawler to actually get him to stop. Uh, he tries to talk him out of it, but it's just not working. And Nightcrawler makes the mention that it's almost like he's seen a ghost. And Nightcrawler himself also sees a ghost uh, in the form of John Proudstar, I believe that is. Yes, uh, Thunderbird. This is this is one of the X-Men that was introduced in the original giant-sized X-Men with like kind of like the new team of like Wolverine and Nightcrawler and all of them. So Nightcrawler is pretty familiar with this guy. Um, he's known for being one of the first big like X Men deaths. Um, he died not long after he debuted. Yes, uh, and to add to that, he stayed dead for a very long time. Uh, no, he never came back. I think he died in like 1975 and has been dead since. Uh, did they never bring him back? At, like at any point in between that? Nope. Wow, I thought they did. Yeah. Absolutely not. No, his um his brothers ran around with uh his brother took his name, I think, for a time, but like the original Thunderbird has been dead since he debuted. Mm -hmm. That's probably what I'm thinking of as one of his brothers. Yeah. Uh Warpath, I believe, took his name at a point. Um but yeah, so the ghost disappears not long after. Uh everybody's looking real spooked. Mm-hmm. Iboy confirms that there was nobody there. He didn't see anything. Uh, but Nightcrawler's like, okay, well, let's figure out everything and see what we're going to do. Uh, again, there is rustling in the bushes, and Lockheed is able to figure out where it is. And as Nightcrawler goes to teleport behind this person, is just unable to catch them. Yeah, and he kind of points out that it looked like Rachel Summers wearing her whole uh, hound gear, where uh, Rachel Summers' whole deal is that she originally came from a future where she got brainwashed into hunting down mutants. And that's kind of what she wore during that time. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Trevor then describes exactly what she's wearing. Uh, Nightcrawler's like, oh, you saw her too? And he's like, yeah, she's she's right there, man. <laughs> yeah, and everyone turns it's... around and is like, wait a minute. Yeah. Yeah, her look, um, very 80s. She's got a mullet going on, a lot of spikes, leather, you know skin-tight leather suit. It's definitely a design choice. 
High heels. High heels. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, baked into the skin tight leather suit, by the way. Uh huh. She's like, you know, it's either part of the suit or she's wearing them underneath, which is a choice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I have to assume it's part of the suit, which still seems like a choice, but. But hey, man, the 80s or whenever she was introduced like this, they were a wild time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, she uh, disappears into a weird tunnel, but Nightcrawler uh, manages to catch up by teleporting. Very handy power. Yes. Uh, And to note about this tunnel, um, iBoy is going to pick up on it. Uh, It doesn't seem to be a part of the normal structure of the mansion. Uh, The temperature and the density and everything is different about it. And it definitely looks different, too. It almost looks... Like wiry, almost. I was gonna say fleshy, but when you get closer to it, it almost looks like a lot of really tight wires. It feels very muscle-ish. Yeah, yeah, m- yeah. muscly is probably a good word for it. Yeah, um, yeah. They she she says some weird computer jargon that Cipher kind of picks up on because of the language thing. They brought uh, some convenient power sets for this uh, mission, as it turns out. Um. But yeah, Cipher Cipher asks iBoy if he's like taking a good look at the walls, touches it, and immediately gets dragged into it. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. I, I do like the moment of iBoy kind of geeking out about it because he's like, whoa, I've never seen anything like that happen. That was really cool. But also that's really bad. Yeah. Uh, Rachel then runs off as things continue to get bad. And uh, Doug gets uh, dropped off in front of some weird flesh ball thing. And uh, in some crazy-looking future room. Yeah, the, I really like the way this really strange future room looks. There's a lot of purples, a lot of blues. But I like how there's just kind of like loops of metal and different patterns everywhere. It reminds me of really early Marvel comics and the way that they would draw anything in space or anything that was trying to be like a concept, like with the Celestials. It's it's very reminiscent of that era where things were just kind of off the wall and very brightly colored. Yeah. Everything just looks kind of crazy. Mm-hmm. A lot of lines. Uh but yeah, Cypher points out that he did the the horror movie thing where he touched the the weird thing and uh then he looks at the ball and is like, "Yeah, I'm going to do it again." <laughs> Should I? No. Will I? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So watch up, walks up and touches it, and some uh, some weird spider things are behind him. Yep. And before we can see his horrible fates, we're back with Nightcrawler, Magic, and Eyeboy as they are trying to get to Rachel to really figure out what the heck is going on. Yeah. And we get these really, honestly, very lovely next few pages of Rachel talking about how she's been dreaming, dreaming of traveling, of going to other worlds of hunting and capturing, but now she's lost and alone and she needs help. We need help. And throughout both of these, there's a lot of motif of these spider-like creatures. And you definitely get the sense just through the art alone that whatever is going on here, it involves space. It involves the old X-Men and something horrific definitely happened here. Yeah, like we we get a kind of a like a shot here of it looks like Cyclops Storm and a Corsair just like attacking some stuff. 
Yeah, it, it all looks really neat. I like this art a lot. Um, the the one of like Rachel's face being like made up of a bunch of like the different spider things. I think is really cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely feels like a flex moment for the artist. Yeah, and then we get our next page here where um, she kind of just disintegrates into these little spider things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's like disassembled. Yeah, and again, looks horrifying. Yeah, especially because of it's a close-up of her face as it becomes less like a person and more like these little spider discs. Uh, yeah, and I, I kind of want to... It just draw attention a little bit to the paneling here. Um, like, it just gets more and more distorted. Uh, like, the bottom line of the... It's, like, three panels in a row, but they're, like, slanted upwards to a point where they're going off the page. And the bottom line of the second one going into the third one is, like, distorted. Yeah. It's like a screech. Yeah. Yeah, it's wonderful. Yeah, it's it's good stuff. Uh, but yeah, uh, apparently these are Sidri. Were these mentioned um, before? Like, I'm trying to remember, were these mentioned in the list of species that they were looking at for the king egg? I, I was thinking I, about that. I don't think they were. Yeah, I don't think so. Yeah, I don't think they were, but I did end up looking them up because I was really curious. Uh, they were first... Uh, they first showed up, I should say, uh, in Uncanny X-Men number 154 uh, from 1981. Uh, according to Marvel Wiki, they have only ever appeared 11 times, including this one. Uh, and they are a hive mind species uh, that the Kree tried to use but deemed them a failure. And this original run of Uncanny X-Men that they showed up in is they assaulted the X-Mansion to hunt Corsair... Uh, and they had been hired by Deathbird to kill him, which is a callback to what that image was of Cyclops and all of them fighting, is the Sidri attacked the mansion, failed in doing so, and then just got left behind. Okay, so they just kind of left him there for a while, and then they just turned into that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so this is a very, very old callback, especially because they didn't really appear outside of their initial introduction. Yeah, I, I legit, like, uh, you mentioned that itch issue. I am sure I've read it. I could not tell you about that issue. Like, it, it has left my mind. Uh, so I, I don't think it was, like, a big thing. But, yeah, so uh, that's that's a heck of a callback. Yeah, definitely it is. So, but I think it's a fun one, you know. I'm I'm enjoying this. Yeah. Meanwhile, uh, Cypher is uh, having a conversation with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, a nice uh, one-sided conversation, as we still can't understand the Sidri, uh, but Cypher definitely can. Uh, and he understands that, yeah, they're a little territorial, but they didn't have to start fighting. But it sounds like they need some help, and Cypher is willing to give it a shot and try and help them out. Okay, uh, yes, the Sidri were mentioned in the potential seed species list. Were they? Oh, was it? Oh, wow, okay. Huh. Yeah. Yeah, they uh they ruled them as a uh, failure from mind structure. Oh. Sure. Oh, poor guys. Yeah, once you mentioned the Cree had something to do with it, I was like, "Oh, I I bet they were in that list then." And hey, there they were. Yeah. Poor guys. I mean, we do see in this next uh double panel here as everybody is fighting them. They're not very good bounty hunters. Um 
iBoy doesn't strike me as a fighter, but he's doing a pretty good job just kicking them all away. Yeah, I'm guessing the idea is supposed to be just, like, overwhelmed by numbers, but yeah. Um, but yeah, so, yeah, the, the fight seems to not be going great for them. Uh, but they are getting overwhelmed. Uh, Magic says she's going to pull rank and say that, like, hey, you know, we're, we're probably going to get exhausted pretty soon. Yeah, smart of her to do. So, but neither her nor Nightcrawler want to leave Doug behind. So between the two of them, Magic decides to go ahead and try to find him. Uh, six quick jumps later with her power, she is able to finally find him in that control room, surrounded by all of these bugs. Yeah, um, one of the bugs is Warlock, who Magic seems surprised to see. Uh, do they just think that Warlock's part of Doug's arm now? That's my understanding of it. Uh, I don't know what led up to that, uh, or why Doug is trying to keep it a secret, because he does tell Magic, hey, yeah, Warlock is here and this is our little secret, but maybe you keep that to yourself. And she's like, oh no, you don't have to explain it. Do what you gotta do. Uh, but yes, yeah, yeah. be for some reason, one way or another, he has decided to not tell people. Yeah, I'm kind of. Do you remember that scene? I forgot what character it was. It might have been Cyclops sees like um, Cipher, Warlock, and Krakoa all talking in the woods, and they're like, "Oh, we weren't doing anything or something." Yes, yeah. Where he, he I, I feel yeah. like that. I feel like that reads differently now. Yeah. Yeah, where he looks, it's all of them. He looks back. It's just Cipher sitting, you know, at a tree stump. Yeah. Hmm. So yeah, I, I guess he's trying to keep this a secret for some reason. But yeah, Warlock's just hanging out. Uh, but yeah, so uh, they they have a conversation. Things got resolved uh, really quickly now. Yeah, mm -hmm. uh, it, it it turns out having somebody that can just communicate is pretty good. Uh, and all the sigils stop as uh magic and cipher come back into the uh kind of the the event here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the fleshy muscly tunnel. Yeah. Yes. Uh, and we learn that. Uh, the Sidri did net a mutant that was trying to make their way through the portal, uh, and it seems that's why all of these problems have started. And they have asked Cypher, the Sidri, uh, if they can take this mutant away so the Sidri can now live here. And as he's explaining this, the Sidri open up uh, another cocoon that they have, where they have kept Lady Mastermind prisoner. Yeah, who, um, I think this is Mastermind's daughter. Yes. Um, but yeah, I think she has a similar power set where she can just create illusions. Yes. Uh, she, yeah, she, like, um, Tim just said, uh, Mastermind's daughter. Uh, one of his daughters, by the way, uh, which was a really funny thing. Um, she was initially introduced in Extreme X-Men number six in 2001. Uh, she is a very late Claremont creation, and she is the most powerful illusion creator out there. Um, they don't have form or anything, but she can make someone believe that they are living an entirely different reality if she chose to. Uh, but fun tidbit about her that I learned as I was looking her up. Uh, but Lady Mastermind actually originated due to a mix-up between Chris, Chris Claremont and Joe Casey, uh, the writers of Extreme X-Men and Uncanny X-Men. Uh, so both writers were writing these two books at the same time and initially intended to use the second mastermind 
uh, Martinique Jason at the same time without knowledge of the other's plans. Uh, so once they both realized that they wanted to use the same character at the same time, Claremont was like, it's okay, don't worry about it. I will create Lady Mastermind and we'll figure it out. <laughs> Whoops. <Yep. laughs> Oops. <laughs> so ended up working out. You got a new character out of it. Uh, but just a funny little like mix up right there that they had to figure out in the middle of both of their stories. We were both trying to use the same obscure character. Yep. Like <laughs> Yeah, that, that's a very funny. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I can see why they neither of them thought to clear it with the other before it was like, uh oh. That's yeah, that's a funny situation. Well, um, what do you mean you know who Mastermind is? Yeah, I mean like Mastermind's not all that obscure, but I'm guessing like the second one is. Like <laughs> so yeah. Um but yeah, so um they kind of resolved this real quick. Apparently after everybody had left, the the Sidri hatched and just kind of took over the mansion. Um so Lady Mastermind walked kind of wandered in here trying to find the gate and accidentally found the Sidri who were like, "Hey, what are you doing in our home?" Mhm. Um and yeah, so uh, everything kind of went wrong. Their powers got entangled, and uh, then one of the the Sidri's kind of form a person thing, humanoid, and so they can talk to Doug and uh-huh. ask if they're leaving. They say, "Yeah, we're going to." And apparently, the deal was like, "Hey, just leave them to our, just leave us to our nest, and you can mutants can use the portal." Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, a problem for a later day, as, you know, this is still the X-Mansion. I'm sure mutants will never go back to it, hopefully. Yeah, probably not. Yeah, now that they have Krakoa. Yeah, they're never gonna leave. No reason, no reason to go back. Oh, man. Uh, but yeah, that is the end of the issue. Lady Mastermind has been saved, the mystery has been solved, and all is well. We did it. We did it, gang. We saved the city, but for real this time. Yeah. Yeah, the the city of uh, hive mind doppelganger creatures. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's all good. They all live in the like eighties golden age of sci fi place mm-hmm. for some reason. Mm-hmm. It's just the style yeah. that they decided to keep. It, it. They're like those people that just never grew out of a time, like an era. That's what these guys are. Okay. Yeah, that's fair. Good for them. Mm-hmm. So, I, overall, at first I wasn't too hot on it. I'm like, okay, I was expecting something like Jean Grey and Emma Frost, uh, where we just get this really interesting story with no dialogue, wonderful art telling us the entirety of it. And then you kind of get to this, and it's more of like a, an episode of a Saturday morning cartoon, you know? Uh, didn't feel terribly important. But once I read into it and the story behind it, especially with the artist, uh, how he was, you know, writing and drawing X-Men comics in the 80s, I was like, okay, I see it now. This is basically just a love letter to that era and those characters. You know, you have the Sidri, a villain from that era. So it's honestly, it's nice. I don't know where I would put it, but I'm, I'm glad it is here. I I personally like when they're able to resolve conflicts like this without it just being kind of a punch people out type deal. So that's that's always cool to see. Um it almost resolves a little bit too neat, but I I like it. I guess that's what happens when you actually bring people with the right power sets. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's fine. In the end, it ends up being very sparse in terms of like narrative. It's a very simple story. Like, I think it would be very easy to summarize. Yes. Uh, but it is a very, you know, nice highlight of the artist, which I think is the point of this. Mm-hmm. So that's that's what I kind of come into these uh, expecting. Yeah. Yeah. And definitely going forward, I'm going to be going into these with that mindset. Uh, I believe our next one after this, it's not going to be for a little bit, uh, but it's going to be giant-sized X-Men Magneto. Uh, so that one yes, will be a Yes, Magneto's up next. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. But yeah, uh, that is our episode. Yeah, any final thoughts that we have for these issues here before we wrap up? Uh, not really. I, I think it's a decent set of issues this week. Uh, I think the first one might have been my highlight, but that's because of the whole Domino thing. Um, the whole, you know, uh, Olmec temple, temple uh, hijinks stuff isn't really my th- thing. And I think Excalibur, again, is doing too many things at once. Oh, yeah, uh, entirely too many. Well, there are some interesting thoughts in there. <laughs> I, yeah. yeah, it was fun to read. Yeah, um... So next time, we will be jumping into a new series with Hellions number one. Uh, We will also be covering uh, New Mutants number nine, as well as Excalibur number ten. I am so excited for Hellions number one. I am so excited to go back to that. Sergio, you are not going to know who these people are, but I hope you are excited to meet Nanny and Orphan Maker. I, um... I feel like the things I've heard about Hell Lions from like the you know background <laughs> radiation that I've been exposed to indicates that I should be excited for it. I think it's a cool name at the very least. I don't know how to pronounce it, but it does look cool in my head. I, I'm going to, you know, get into it with the expectations that I'm gonna like it. Alright. That's that's a good way to look at it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and how about uh, for those of you listening, you can tell us how you pronounced Hellions because I've heard Hellions, Hellions, a couple of other ways too. And you know, how do you say? It? What is the proper way to pronounce the name of this book? Because so far, I think every time we're talking, we're going to talk about it. I'm just going to pronounce it a different way, and I want to see how far I can go with it. Hellions. Yes. See, there's another one. Uh, but if you have any ideas for that, uh, you can send them to studyofx at gmail.com. Uh, you can also send other questions or comments, uh, maybe a couple other details that we might have missed, and we might read them here on the podcast. Uh, you can also uh, send us a message uh, or a comment on one of our many social media accounts. Uh, it is Study of X. Uh, you can find us on Twitter, also called X, uh, on Tumblr, and now on Blue Sky. Uh, we have an account on there as well, uh, all with the same name, just Study of X. Uh, and if you are looking to follow me somewhere, uh, you can find me at Sonics. That is S A W N E E K S. You can find me on Blue Sky. Uh, I'm mostly at the moment. I'm talking about Final Fantasy XIV because I fell back into that hole. Uh, and Sergio, if they are looking to find you, where can they find you? Uh, people can find me at Fireblend, F-I-R-E-B-L-E-N-D, on co-host mostly 
uh, these days and uh, Blue Sky. And you know, they should send us a message telling me what X-Men game I should play. Uh, I, I kind of want to get into an X-Men game, hopefully not a fighting one. Uh, I want to know what, you know, what a good X-Men game is. Mm -hmm. And there's a bunch of them out there too, so I'm sure people can point you in the right direction. Yeah, I, like I've been listening to a lot of their soundtracks because I'm the one editing the episodes and putting the intro and outro music in. Uh, but, you know, I, I would like to actually play something. Yeah, give us give us X Men game recommendations. We would we would like. Them. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, and Tim, if they are looking for you and are needing to find you in one of the many areas of Otherworld, where should they look? Uh, yeah, so what you want to do is uh, go to Westchester, find a mansion, go down to the Fletching Tunnel, and just touch one of the walls. Okay. And, uh, yeah. And, and you will just be there and be like, hey, what's up? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, I might be in a form of a bunch of tiny robots, but, you know, mm -hmm. I'll, I'll be there. Mm -hmm. yes, the collective known as Tim. Yes. Mm -hmm. Little known facts, but hey, you know you know. Alright, and yeah, that'll that'll be that. We will see you next time. Yep. Later, mutants. Bye. Bye. -bye.